Bethesda Broadcast, episode number 27. And today we are continuing our way through the Gospel of John and find ourselves in chapter 11. The title of today's message is Believing in Jesus. Pastor Roy will be looking at six unchanging truths to hold on to when facing an overwhelming situation. Open up your Bibles to John 11 and follow along. Today, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 11, I wish we had time to read down through the entire account, uh, but we're going to try to work our way through it. If you look at the sermon notes, you'll see there's six uh, points there and then six unchanging truths, and you are probably sitting there thinking, how in the world is he going to get through six points when he usually can't make it through three? Um, I'm wondering the same thing. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see how we go here, but um, it is a wonderful story. Uh, you know, and these aren't just stories. They are actual historical events that happen, but what a wonderful story in the power of Jesus Christ, and I think we just need to be reminded, and so I've titled the sermon today, Believing in Jesus, because that's what it's all about, and the reason he performed this miracle and the other miracles that he performed that we've looked at is that we would believe in him. Many of you remember the comedian Bob Hope. He said one time, I thought of going into politics, but I'm not that good of an actor. And I thought, boy, how, how true. Um, but I thought, you know, there are many people in the crowd who were listening to Jesus and observing what he was doing, and many of them still thought he was an actor, an imposter, when in fact he was the real deal. So today we're going to look at six unchanging truths to hold on to when facing an overwhelming situation. The situation here is in the opening verses. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So at the outset, we see Jesus was painfully informed. It reminds me of a little boy who came home with bad grades, and he took his report card reluctantly to his dad, who was sitting in the easy chair, and but he prefaced his remark because he knew his dad wasn't going to be appreciative of his bad grades, And so he said, Dad, here's my report card, and here's one of yours. (laughs) And the dad looked at him, and he said, Son, I'm going to give you the same thing my father gave me for my report card. (laughs) Painfully informed. Um, No, I think of a variety of situations, though, where people are painfully informed. Let's consider some of those. A young father of a growing family takes his car to the garage and he's financially strapped only to be painfully informed that his car needs a new engine. I think of the businessman who walks into work like he has the past eight years only to be visited by his boss who tells him they are restructuring the company and his job will no longer be available. 
I think of an elderly person who's been dealing with debilitating health and is disheartened when they are painfully informed that they are not going to get better. I think of a pregnant mother who makes her monthly visit to the doctor and is painfully informed that her pregnancy has been showing some abnormal signs which could be an indication of a birth defect in their soon-to-arrive baby. I think of a teenager who is faced with fear when she is painfully informed that her mother has an inoperable cancerous tumor and the doctors have not given them much hope. To be painfully informed, Jesus was painfully informed about a dear, close friend. The burden and weight can seem overwhelming at times, but I want to remind us of an unchanging truth. And that is this, we can talk to Jesus about our pain. Now, my question is, someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus, who do they talk to? Who do they run to? Especially if it's three o'clock in the morning. Where are you going to go? Who are you going to cry out your heart to? We have Jesus Christ to lean on to cry to about our pain. The psalmist did that very thing in Psalm 6. Watch this. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. He goes on to say, My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping, and I drench my couch with tears. I think that's where Mary and Martha were about the loss of their brother. Notice it says, my bones are in agony. Talks about the level of their pain, it was extreme. The level of the psalmist's pain was extreme. Intense pain, pain that stings on the inside. But notice also the length of the pain. How long is this pain going to last? That's what people want to know. When is the end of this pain? When will it be over? That's where the psalmist was at. The third thing is the emotion of the pain was exhaustive. He says down in verse 6, notice, I am worn out from groaning. You can get emotionally exhausted and spent when you're going through something that you've been painfully informed about. And I think that's where Lazarus's family was. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. That's what the psalmist said. But God is there for us. And we need to remember we can talk to Jesus about our pain. What a wonderful privilege we have in prayer. Wonderful privilege. I need to keep moving. He goes on to say in verses 7 and 9, this is also in Psalm 6, My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. And then notice, I should have underlined this. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. You see, not only do we talk to Jesus about our pain, but he hears us. He's heard our cry for mercy. He has heard our plea. Have you ever felt like you talked to somebody and they didn't hear you? (laughs) It'll never be true of God. He's always there. 
And so when the news reached, in verse 3, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. He found out. He heard. He understood. But the next thing I want us to understand is this. Jesus was providentially absent. Look in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. And the only way Jesus could make that statement is he has to know the future. This statement, he says, this sickness will not end in death. Jesus knows the future. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet, listen, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus was providentially absent. In other words, it was his plan and his purpose to not be there. When we talk about providence, it's the idea that God is the power that sustains and guides human destiny. He is. And therefore, he was providentially absent. I remember a time in my life when I was a youngster when my father was providentially absent, and I was really glad because I did something bad. And I was glad he was absent. I stayed home from school one day, and I started feeling better in the afternoon, and we had this little golf club. And I thought, I'll go outside and hit the golf ball around in the backyard. And and I got this crazy idea, you know, guys love a challenge. I said, I wonder if I could hit it over the garage. <laughs> it just seemed like a challenge to me. I didn't think about hitting the neighbor's house on the other side of it, but I wonder if I can hit it over the garage. So I, I lined up and I swung, and man, I hit a nice line drive, and I went straight through the garage window. Boom! Shattered the window. I thought, oh my goodness. I never found a convenient time to tell Dad about that. And I was like, thank God he was providentially absent. But he did find out. <laughs> and we did talk about it later. Um, but you know, here, they weren't happy that Jesus wasn't there. And they were probably beginning to wonder, where is he? He's a close friend. He's been told, where's he at? Have you ever felt like that? Where is God? I'm going through this hard time. But why does he seem providentially absent when I need him? Where is he? What is going on? Why does God seem so far away? How do we get his attention about our situation? How can we be sure he's hearing us? Look what Psalm has said again. Why, O Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I mean, why do you seem so distant and absent of what I'm going through? Again, Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Do you sense that the psalmist's heart is breaking? And he's wondering why is God providentially absent in the midst of his pain? I need to give us a second unchanging truth. We are never alone, and Jesus is always with us. We are never alone. Donnie didn't see my notes, but I will never leave you nor forsake you. What he shared this morning is is true. I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
Deuteronomy 31.8 is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He is in front of us. He is behind us. He is beside us. He is in us. He is not providentially absent. When we sense that he is, it's because he wants us to feel that and to be reminded that we need him. And so therefore we do feel it at times. Has anybody ever not felt that? Probably not if you've been a Christian very long. There have been times I felt God was providentially absent in my life only to discover he really wasn't. But there were times when I was going through some things I felt, God, where are you? When are you going to show up? And, and he does in his time and in his way. He does a deep work in our heart in the process And sometimes we don't really care for that. Jesus does not have any unexcused absences. And he has no tardies. He's never tardy. He's never late. And no unexcused absences. He has a plan that he is working. He is beyond time. And we are bound by time. He is not bound by circumstances. And we are bound by circumstances. He is not bound by human wisdom. We are bound by human wisdom. He is not bound by death. We are bound by death, except for Jesus Christ. And so therefore, he is amazingly present in our lives. There was a pastor in Louisiana, and he wanted to he was learned, taught a lesson by his nine-year-old son when, when his wife, uh, the pastor's wife, was ill, and he was deciding whether he should stay home or go to work, and he thought maybe he should stay home, and he thought, well, no, I'll teach the nine-year-old a, a lesson about using the telephone, and so he called his uh, nine-year-old son into the bedroom and said, here's how you use the telephone, and here's my cell phone number if mom needs me call me. And so he said, let's, let's give it a try right here. And, and he stood right next to his son, and he dials, has his son dial the number, and he talks to him for a minute. Perfect. And so hangs up. His dad gets out to the living room, and pretty soon his cell phone rings about three minutes later. He pulls his cell phone out. Hello? It's his little boy that just talked to him three minutes ago. He said, I just wanted to see if it worked when you were in the living room. Because he was further away. He was, it was like he was absent. He said, son, the phone works really, really well. As a matter of fact, you could even talk to somebody in China. But don't do that. Don't call somebody in China. Um, God, even though he seems absent, he knows what's going on. If we went clear back, and I'll just take a moment, clear back to John chapter 1 in our very opening chapter of John. Here's what Jesus says when... Uh, Nathanael approaches him. John 1.47 When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. He was geographically removed, but he was absolutely present and understood where Nathanael was. And what he was doing. And so even though God may seem providentially absent, he's not. 
He's not. We have to trust him. He is there with us. And he is ever present to help us in our time of trouble. Here, Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There is no place you and I go where the presence of God does not go with us. Is that comforting or not? I mean, no matter what kind of conflict, what kind of difficulty, what kind of hardship, we're not alone. And it's a wonderful thought. Psalm 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Put your name in there where it says you. He is there to help us and strengthen us and be with us. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's where the personal relationship comes in. When you and I experience personally the power and strength of God in our lives, we are more apt to call upon him. I have found myself in positions where I didn't have the wisdom, I didn't have the strength, I didn't have the courage, and God gave it to me. And it's a wonderful thing. And God will give it to us when we cry out to him and ask him. Thirdly, Jesus was personally involved. He did not delegate this responsibility to someone else. He was personally involved in this situation. He was at work long Listen, he was at work long before Mary and Martha ever knew he was at work. If we look down in verse 7, he says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews were trying to stone you and you're going back there? (laughs) To that dangerous place? Yeah, he's going back there. Why? Because he's needed. Jesus is coming to their aid and coming to their rescue. Why? Because he said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And Jesus is interested and personally involved. You see, just as we cannot see, we see the tip of an iceberg, and only about 15% of the iceberg actually sticks out of the water. 85% of that iceberg is underwater, and we can't see it. And God's work is the same way. We see about the tip of the iceberg of God's work. And the rest of it is underneath the water. Absolutely underwater. And we have to trust him that he is at work. And know that he's at work. And know that he is all wise and knowing that he wants to change us from the inside out. This third unchanging truth. Jesus will fulfill his purpose in our lives. He absolutely will. Jesus wanted to magnify God's glory through the raising of Lazarus. He said in verse 11, our friend Lazarus is dead. He wasn't even there yet, and he knew. Again, God's knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus, he knew. He wasn't even there yet, and he knew. By magnifying God's glory, what was Jesus attempting to do? He was trying to get the crowd to believe in Jesus. When you and I will live our lives in such a way that we're bringing glory to God in everything we are doing, it can help people come to belief in Jesus Christ. And that's what God wants to do, bring people to belief in Jesus Christ. Jesus will fulfill his purpose in our lives. What was the glory of God here? The recognition of his Father. 
The recognition of his heavenly father was God's glory. The fourth thing we see here is Jesus was particularly moved. He was particularly moved. His compassion and care was evident. Look down in verse 33. We're not going to have time to read all these verses. I wish we did. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked, come and see, Lord, they replied, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And in verse 38, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He was deeply moved. Jesus wept. It's interesting when it talks about Mary weeping, and it talks about the Jews weeping, and it talks about Jesus weeping, they wept differently. You see, the way Mary and the Jews wept is they wept, and the Bible actually, in the original language, it means that they wailed and they lamented almost in an uncontrollable fashion. When it talks about Jesus weeping here, it's referring to that he shed a tear or tears but he did it with control. And I don't mean mechanically. I think he felt the pain of them, but he also knew what he was going to do. He was in complete control of the situation. And therefore, his weeping was different than theirs. And I think to show them, they were probably wondering, how can this guy weep and be sad? And yet, they found out why. Because he's the son of God. But here's the fourth unchanging truth. Jesus loves me deeply. It actually, in the beginning of this chapter, when it says in verse 3, the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The word love there is actually phileo, which means a warm affection, a friendly type of love. But when it later on in the chapter, when it says down in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, that word there is agapeo, which means he loved devotedly with his will. He loved him deeply is what it's saying. He was committed to him. And so Jesus loves us deeply. Paul captured this in Romans eight thirty-five when he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is deep. And nothing can separate us from God's love. Let's move on. Hard times do not cancel out God's love for us. If we are going through a difficult time, it does not cancel out God's love. He loves us deeply. And he cares about us. Fifthly, Jesus was profoundly simple. 
It's amazing when I look at this and I'm thinking, you know, here he's, the family's going through this hard struggle. I would almost expect Jesus to have some kind of Bible study or sit down and give a series of sermons or something like that. But he actually responds very simply and that blows me away. If we look down in verse 23, we see a simple statement in verse 23. He says, your brother will rise again. Just simple. Your brother will rise again. A very simple statement. We look down in verse 39. What does he say here? Take away the stone. Take away the barrier so I can do my work. And sometimes I wonder if God can't do a work in our lives because he says, take away the stone. Would you remove the barrier so I can do my work? A simple statement. He doesn't go into a long explanation, even saying what he's going to do. A simple prayer. Verses 41 and 42. Father, he says, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And that was the end of the prayer. (laughs) A very simple prayer. And then he gives a simple command in verse 40. And what is it? Lazarus? Or I'm sorry, verse 43. I believe it is. Um, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Three words. Called him by name, come out. A very simple command. He did that. So what is the unchanging truth here? Jesus' words minister to me. He doesn't need a lot of words. He communicates volumes with a small amount of energy. His words minister to me. This is why we have to pick up this book on a regular basis and allow it to speak to us because Jesus wants to, not good luck charm, he wants to minister to me and speak to me. If I'm full of anxiety and frustration and I can go to Philippians chapter 4 and what does he say? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guess what? What a wonderful truth. But Jesus' words change us if we will allow them to. And our spirit will be changed, and God will change us. Because I'll tell you what, people can rub us the wrong way, can't they? Just a little bit? Jesus' words change us so we don't allow them to change us. Profoundly simple. He says in Proverbs 25, 25, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from far away. The word of God is good news. It is good news. The gospel is good news. 2 Timothy 3, 16, All scripture, all of God's words, It is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How are we going to mature in our faith if we don't take in the Word of God on a regular basis? The biblical illiteracy that we even saw in the Awana video this morning. There is a need for us to be deep in the Word of God and to know it in our lives. The fourth thing here, Jesus was powerfully anointed. In verse 43, he simply says, Lazarus, come out. And I think the only reason he did it in a loud voice is so everybody there in the crowd could hear him because he wasn't mic'd. 
I don't think he needed to say it loud. He could have whispered it, and he would have come out of that tomb. Lazarus come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. How would you like to be in the crowd? Sometimes there's a resurrection when we close the service, you know, like half the people are sleeping. Um, But a resurrection, he's in grave clothes. And look what happens. He says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. He's alive. Get the dead stuff off and let him enjoy life. And I think of how many people who claim to be Christians who are walking around with grave clothes on, half dead. And Jesus says, get the grave clothes off. Come out. I've redeemed you. You were spiritually dead. Now you're spiritually alive. Walk in newness of life. This is an example of Jesus raising someone from the dead, but reminding us that he takes people who are spiritually dead and he puts life into them. His living Holy Spirit in them that we can be everything God wants us to be. He says in Luke... 418, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. If we really believe the gospel, if we really believe in Jesus Christ, we will share it with people who don't know him. And that's what Jesus' passion was. The people who didn't know him would come to know him and come to believe in Jesus Christ. We've been translated from spiritual death to spiritual life. We believed in the person and work of Christ. Here's the sixth unchanging truth. Jesus will resurrect those who believe in him. Because I have to read this verse John eleven twenty five, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus can take people who are spiritually dead and give them spiritual life? to deliver them, to make them brand new people in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6. I have to read this verse to you in verse 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to reflect upon the message today. Have you been painfully informed about something recently? Or maybe in the distant past? 
and you felt that God was providentially absent, I want to remind you that we can talk to Jesus about our pain. I want to remind us that Jesus is always there and we are never alone. That he is personally involved. That he will fulfill his purpose in our lives. That he loves us deeply. That Jesus' words minister to us. And Jesus will resurrect those who believe in him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you this morning, where do you stand in your relationship with God? The purpose of Jesus performing this miracle was that people would believe in Jesus. The Jews were concerned because after this story, they had a meeting. And in the meeting, they were like, everybody's turning to Jesus. And they were concerned. I'm concerned about people turning to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us we are born in sin and we are separated from God because of our sin. And because of our sin, we will face eternal judgment and we are condemned, the Bible says, already. And we need the forgiveness of Jesus. Jesus has been powerfully anointed by God to preach deliverance to the captives. The good news. And so I have good news for you. If you are bound in your sin this morning, God wants to set you free. But he will not do it against your will. He will not come against your will. You have to open the door of your heart and the only way you can do that is to humble yourself and acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God. And say, God, I'm a sinner. I deserve eternal wrath and judgment, but I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And I confess that and I forsake that. I repent of that sin. I turn away from it. And I walk in newness of life. I receive the forgiveness of God and the Spirit of God to become a child of God. If that's you this morning... I ask you, would you consider giving your life to Jesus Christ? And if you make that decision this morning, would you please tell me after the service or one of our other leaders, we want to help you grow in your faith. Life is too short to play games. I don't have time for games. And neither does Jesus. By the way, when I talked about Jesus weeping, in John eleven thirty five, there's only one other record where Jesus wept in Scripture that I know of. And it's found in the Gospel of Luke. And do you know why Jesus wept then? And he wept more like Mary and Martha in an, almost an uncontrollable way? Do you know what moved Jesus to tears? Jerusalem and their unrepentance. That's what moved him to tears. May God move us to tears for people who are unrepentant and without hope in the world. God help us. If you're a believer this morning, Jesus is there for you. You may feel like he's distant, but I'm telling you, you keep praying, you keep trusting, you cling to the truth 
these six unchanging truths and God is going to bring you out the other side. And you will be able to praise him and glorify him in the process. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.